Hi, my name's Chris, and this is season three of My Life, and welcome to it, Seeking God's Face. Welcome to episode two of season three, Seeking God's Face. These episodes are taking a little extra work uh, for me to put together, to think about. Um, So I I just can't crank them out every week like I was doing. So uh, I'm grateful for your patience and I hope you bear with me as I uh, put these out as I can. Before we get started talking about my journey of uh, seeking God's face, I want to talk a little business, in a sense, business. You know, uh, ever since I started this podcast back in February of 2020, uh, I intended to make it free. You know, I listened to lots of podcasts, and I really don't enjoy listening to commercials ads um, so I uh, consciously have avoided that I'm not going to do ads and that sort of thing but I was talking with my friend David Patterson uh, of Drowning Man Productions um, now that uh, the Cathedral Choir is singing again he and I are beginning to gather for uh dinner or happy hour prior to our rehearsals on Wednesdays. And uh, I I noticed that, you know, uh, on his podcast, Wasting All the Time, they have what's called a Patreon account where people can donate money. So I looked into that. Um, Well, it was okay. Then I remembered there was another one. It's called Buy Me a Coffee. And I really like Buy Me a Coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is set up so that if you wanted to subscribe to, like, say, donate every month um, or just on a monthly basis, um, you can. You can also subscribe for on a yearly basis, so you pay for a full year. Um, or you can just do a one-shot one deal. Just buy me a cup of coffee. The minimum donation is, is $3.00. If you want to do that, um, you know, there are some things that I'd like to purchase down the road, so I'm saving up for it. Um, if you wanted to help contribute to me adding to my collection of microphones and uh, sound gear, that would be great. But if not, that's okay, too. The whole point of this is sharing my life. Um, sometimes people like to get involved, so I thought I'd provide this information uh, for you. If you go to... Uh, buymeacoffee.com slash M-L-A-W-T-I. Then you can see what I have to offer there. You know, a lot of times, too, with these types of of programs where people can donate money if they wish, there's the opportunity for the creator to provide extra content, whether it be a video or um, just a a private episode um, or an episode 
you know, early access to an episode before everybody else gets to hear it, or whatever it is. Um, and I'd like to hear what maybe your thoughts would be on that. So um, you can email me at uh, MLAWTI101 at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail message on anchor.fm um, for, you know, where, my, why, uh, where the podcast is hosted. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be curious. There's also a Facebook Facebook group if you're at all interested. Uh, it's an open to the public group for my life and welcome to it. So I just thought I'd share that with you. What's in inter- One of the other things I like about Buy Me a Coffee is that uh, 1% of all the revenue, all the donations, go to an organiz- go to an organization called Stripe Climate, and I'm gonna hang on. Let me grab something here real quick, and one uh, percent's not much, but it's something. So you know, I was looking at their portfolio here. It's a big website. There's a lot. They've got a lot going on actually, and they do a lot with carbon removal. Um. And they've got some projects going on. I thought I'd take a look at them and share a couple with you. One is Sea Change, and it says Sea um, Change leverages the power and scale of the world's oceans to remove carbon. Their experimental electrochemical process sequesters CO2 in seawater as carbonates, an inert material comparable to seashells, thereby enabling energy efficient and permanent CO2 removal. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What else they got down here? Um, here's something. This is called Future Forest, the Future Forest Company. Future Forest is conducting a field trial to accelerate mineral weathering by crushing basalt rocks into dust, spreading them onto the forest floor, and then measuring CO2 uptake. This first-of-a-kind trial will help assess the potential for scale as well as the potential ecosystem impacts associated with enhanced weathering. So those are a couple of things that I thought were kind of cool. Stripe.com, Stripe, Stripe Climate, um, and that uh, 1% of any donations that I get from Buy Me a Coffee go there. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I just thought I'd share that with you up front. Um, there is, you know, when we get to the end of the show, when I do the credits, I mentioned buy me a coffee one more time. Um, but I thought I'd just spend a little extra time just talking about my thought process, my rationale for it, um, in keeping this, you know, ad free. So there you go. And, um, I probably won't talk about it anymore. And my journey to the Catholic Church, as I think I mentioned in episode one, or maybe even at the last episode of season two, there were two big hurdles for me coming out of the Protestant world of Christianity. One was, of course, the Eucharist as the uh, real presence and body and blood of Christ. The other one was the Church's teachings on the Blessed Virgin Mary which I have to admit, I didn't understand much at the time. But I was motivated. I was really motivated because, um, you know, I had um, 
I'd seen that documentary on the life of Pope John Paul II. I'd read this huge auto, uh, this huge biography of him. And in that autobiography, I, I, I discovered something. When he was a young man, before he was a priest, I believe even, um, he was working in a factory of some sort. I'm doing this by memory now. And he came across a photocopy of a book. And it's called True Devotion to the Blessed, Blessed Virgin Mary by a guy named St. Louis de Montfort. And he read that book and it made a huge, huge impact on his life. And he maintained a devotion to the Virgin Mary for the rest of his life. And I thought, well, that's really, really interesting. So I went ahead and ordered the book and began reading it. And um, it made a profound impact on my life also. And I've got a big book here. I ended up buying two huge books. Um, they're both about St. Louis de Montfort. Um, the first one that I have here is a title called God Alone, the Collected Writings of St. Louis Marie de Montfort. The other one I have, I'll go get in just a little bit. It's more of a um, essays of people who have studied his writings uh, and have elaborated on them. He lived back, let's see, let's go back to a little timeline of his life here. He was born in 1673, so um, a lot, and he was French. So um, in translating, you know, it's like bringing things up to date sort of thing. Um, and a uh, very I interesting person. He was very, very uh, devoted to Blessed Mother and sometimes is is called um, the Apostle of the Rosary. And yet, with all of that, the book, the title of his book is called God Alone. The collection of his writings is called God Alone. And I'm going to read for you a little poem that's here in the front of the book. Here we go. Written by St. Louis-Marie de Montfort. And it's in English, so it's probably not exact an exact translation because it rhymes. Um, but, but this is probably not the main idea. Here we go. What ill or evil, Lord, can harm this joyous heart that you alone can charm? I love you more with every breath. So how can I fear life or death? To love you, Father, is to live and sing the songs the angels sing their king. God alone in every cell of me, God alone for all eternity. And, you know, I, what impresses me most about St. Louis de Montfort in his writings is he really grasps the relationship of the Blessed Mother and her son, and God, as in the Trinity. And of course, in 16, what did I say, he was born in 1673 or so? That was, um, you know, before uh, the doctrine of the, the dogma of the Assumption of Mary. I think it was even before 
the uh, dogma of the Immaculate Conception, um, that he had this devotion. And he says, so this is, I'm taking this from the very beginning of true devotion. A lot of times this is just called true devotion. People know what that is. This is the very beginning of it. And he says, it is through the Blessed Virgin Mary that Jesus Christ came into the world. And it is also through her that he must reign in the world. Because Mary remained hidden during her life, she is called by the Holy Spirit and the Church, Alma Mater, Mother Hidden and Unknown. So great was her humility that she desired nothing more upon earth than to remain unknown to herself and to others and to be known only to God. In answer to her prayers to remain hidden, poor and lowly, God was pleased to conceal her from nearly every other human creature in her conception, her birth, her life, her mysteries, her resurrection and assumption. Her own parents did not really know her, and the angels would often ask one another, who can she possibly be? For God had hidden her from them, or if he did reveal anything to them, it was as nothing it was nothing compared with what he withheld. You know, I mentioned the fact this was before um, the dogma of the assumption, but there was there's been a teaching of the church that goes way, way back. Way, way back. You know, centuries back. And it's, and it's called the Dormition of Our Lady. And it's been a teaching of the church that she um, she did not suffer death and that she was assumed into heaven, which isn't unheard of. If you remember uh, Enoch, says in Genesis that Enoch walked with God and was no more. We have uh, Moses, um, who was not allowed to enter into the promised land with the rest of Israel. Joshua led them in. But he was allowed to see them, so he went up to a high mountain and watched. It doesn't say anything about Moses dying. This is what I get for trying to do things by memory. Um, I've got my heater going. It's kind of cold in my apartment right now, so you might be able to hear a little bit of that. But uh, I couldn't let this go. I was uh, reviewing you know, the podcast, and, yep, that's a mistake. So here's the deal. This is from the book of Deuteronomy, Old Testament, and uh, chapter uh, 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, the peak of Pisgah, which faces Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as, and then he lists out the whole area there. Um, yeah, verse 4, the Lord then said to him, this is the land about which I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you shall not cross over. So there in the land of Moab, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died, as the Lord had said, and he was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. To this day, no one knows the place of his burial. 
uh, Moses died. So yep, I was wrong. I admit it. You know, that's that's what I get for not doing my research ahead of time, but trying to do things by memory. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the uh, to the podcast. And then we have Elijah, the story of Elijah, where he was caught up into heaven in a uh, fiery chariot. He didn't see death either. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, two people appeared with Jesus. One was Moses and one was Elijah. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. And it's, so it's not unprecedented that God could assume someone into heaven. And, you know, the thought is that this is Jesus's mother who, uh, who could be more important than her, you know, uh, that God would honor Jesus's mother by having her be assumed into heaven. So anyway, so he mentions it right at the beginning of his, of his book. Um, it's a great book. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever been curious about the Virgin Mary and her place in the church, the true devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary by St. Louis de Montfort is a great place to start. Then in chapter one, this is that's just the introduction, part of it anyway. In chapter one, he starts off chapter one like this. With the whole church, I acknowledge that Mary, being a mere creature fashioned by the hands of God, is, compared to his infinite majesty, less than an atom, or rather is simply nothing, since he alone can say, I am he who is. Consequently, this great Lord, who is ever independent and self-sufficient, never had and never does not now have any absolute need of the Blessed Virgin for the accomplishment of his will and the manifestation of his glory. To do all things, he has only to will them. However, I declare that considering things as they are, because God has decided to begin and accomplish his greatest works through the Blessed Virgin, ever since he created her, we can safely believe that he will not change his plan in the time to come, for he is God, and therefore does not change in his thoughts or his way of acting. Really puts, you know, Mary in, in perspective. Um, I don't talk a little bit about that. And as I was going through my own process of understanding Mary's role in the Catholic Church and um, how I would relate to the Blessed Mary, Blessed Virgin going forward as I'm processing my way through the church, one of the things I decided to do was pray the rosary. I think I mentioned this. So... I would pray the rosary as I would walk every Monday night from where I lived, whether I walked or rode the light rail. I would pray the rosary until I got to the cathedral for class. I was working uh, at a place that took two different buses. I had to, it was quite a long bus ride for me to get to where I was working. And I would pray the rosary on the bus. And, uh, 
then part of the RCIA process is, um, at the time, it's changed now because the schedule has changed due to COVID, but pre-COVID, um, all the folks going through the RCIA process were required to attend the 9 a.m. Mass. Um, and so what I would do, I was living on uh, G Street between 14 and 13, so I was within walking distance of the cathedral now. What I would do is I would uh, get ready on Sunday morning. Then I would walk over to a Starbucks, which was in the neighborhood at the time. It's no longer there, but at the time it was. And I would grab a cup of coffee, and then I would walk down to uh, Capitol Park. And uh, the statue is no longer there, and I believe there are plans to put something in its place, but it was the statue of... uh, Unipiro Serra. He was blessed at the time. Um, he's now been canonized. And he's Saint Unipiro Serra, guy that created the, the missions in California. There was this big statue of him there, and I would go down there, and I would, I would sit on this little metal bench and uh, pray the rosary and uh, imagine myself talking to Blessed Serra. Um, he was a, a Franciscan uh, monk. And I would do that every Sunday morning as I was going through the RCIA process. And uh, it became just a regular part of my devotional life was the rosary. Um, I truly desired with all my heart to um, live as a Christian, as the Roman Catholic Church's tradition has handed it down. And the rosary is a big part of it. Um, and I felt that by praying the rosary, that I was um, increasing my capacity to understand the Blessed Virgin. And uh, I think as I may have shared, you know, at one point after I'd gone through the RCA process, it's about a year, it's a year-long process. Um, Sister Jenny, who was in pretty much in charge of religious education and faith formation at the time, um, having talked with her at the very beginning, explaining my story, my religious upbringing, um, she came to me and she said, I would like you to be, become a catechist and I want you need to get your basic certificate. And um, that would in, she, I want you to go to the University of Sacramento. It had a campus downtown. It was run by the Legionnaires. And, um, you know, honestly, my, my goal was to just sit in a pew. <clears throat> It'd be one of the masses. But uh, that was not to be. So uh, I said, well, you know, let me pray about it. And um, so I went back and I took an example from the Bible and an interaction between the Virgin Mary and Jesus. And we, you know, we call, we continue to call her the Virgin Mary because the church teaches that she is um 
perpetually a virgin, that the birth of Jesus was miraculous, and that she maintained her virginity. I don't go figure, right? But that's what the church teaches, and so we continue to call her, you know, Blessed Mother, Our Lady, um, Virgin Mary. Anyway, I digress. <clears throat> so the story is the wedding of Cana, which you may be familiar with, but if you're not, it's in the Gospel according to St. John. It's uh, Jesus' first miracle. And, uh, you know, basically, um, Jesus and the family, and Joseph isn't around, so um, tradition holds that he had, he was an older man. He was probably dead at the time. And so it was Jesus and Mary. And they were at this wedding. They were invited to be at this wedding, and there was the it was the celebration following, right? And uh, they'd run out of wine. I don't know. I guess they didn't plan very well, but they, they were running out of wine, and so Mary goes to Jesus and says, "Hey, Jesus, you know they've uh, they run out of wine," and Jesus says, "You know, so." What does that got to do with me, right? And, uh, you know, Mary doesn't doesn't press the issue at all. She backs off. But she goes to the servants, and she tells the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And, uh, you know, you might have thought that Jesus was just, you know, not going to do anything, but he does. You know, he goes to the servants, and he tells them to put water in these jugs, and um, then to take a, a ladle uh, out and offer it to the mater d, the MC of the wedding or whatever, and turns it's wine, and it's the best wine. It's better wine than it was originally, right? So I got this idea that I would ask Mary, Jesus's mother, to intercede on my behalf and ask her son what I should do, and that then whatever he tells me, I'll do it. That you know, that's a silly bargain to make. I wouldn't make it if I was you, because um, you never know. You never know what's going to happen, right? But uh, in any event, um, I, when I when I sat on that, I think I actually made that deal prior to Sister Jenny asking me to be a catechist. So when she asked me that, um, and I, I took that as God's message to me, um, and so I began. I began that training that summer, um, really diving into the teachings of the Catholic Church. There's a huge volume. It's called the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It was put together in um, the '80s. There was a previous uh, catechism called the Baltimore Catechism, and that was a pre-Vatican II catechism. But this is something that really pulled together uh, all the teachings of the church, just got quotes from the church fathers. St. Augustine is all over the place, quotes from the documents from Vatican II, um, all kinds of great resources for what the church teaches and where that tradition comes from. So I spent three months just seeped in that. And um, 
I remember at at one point um, we were supposed to give a little catechetical lesson, right? And I don't know why, but I chose the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, uh, you know, I discovered a lot of things. And um, I found one guy. This guy, his name is, he's the Blessed, so he's not a saint, but he's the Blessed. And that's part of the process of becoming a saint, is becoming you become a Blessed first. The guy's name is Blessed Bartolo Longo. He was Italian in the 1800s. And he was raised in a Catholic family, very devout. And uh, when he got into college, it was um, a time of, uh, of uh, academia. He began to let go of his Catholic upbringing. Um, he got involved with spiritism. Uh, and eventually got involved with uh, a satanic church, became a priest in the satanic church. Um, and he, uh, he started having a mental breakdown. Uh, he even apparently, I, I don't have his story in front of me, but you can Google him, Bartolo Longo. Read his story. Um, he actually, I think, he went into a into a class or a coffee house or something and started shouting this, that, and the other thing. Uh, his family was super concerned for him, so they uh, they had a, a priest friend get a hold of him, and <clears throat> he uh, got him starting to pray the rosary. And he prayed the rosary, and eventually uh, he found his way back to the faith of his childhood, uh, renewed his devotion to our Lord and the Church, and developed quite a devotion to the Blessed Mother. He uh, had a, a, a patron, it was an older woman, who... Um, he was like her business agent. Um, and there was uh, talk that their relationship was improper. So he ended up marrying her. And uh, one of her projects was to build uh, a church on um, the island of... Uh, Oh, what was the name of the island where the volcano was? You know what I'm talking about. I don't have it in front of me, so I don't remember right off. But anyway, so he goes down there, and she, she's really, really rich. So he goes down there to start this, or it was an orphanage, church kind of a thing. And uh, they got it built. There was nothing there. They got it built, and he thought, you know, this this needs um, this needs a picture. Of the of our of our Lady of the Virgin Mary, but they were at this point they'd run out of money, didn't have a lot to spend. So he heard word that there was a painting of the Virgin Mary uh, in storage back in this little town back in Italy on the mainland. So he went to go get it, and um, the way the story is told is that 
not a great painting. She's not particularly attractive in the painting. I think you can actually Google the painting at this point. So he gets this painting um, and puts it on, sh- on a ship and it gets shipped over to the island. Um, and uh, the only way they have of getting it from the port to the church was in on the uh, a cart being pulled by a by a mule so um kind of not the most dignified way back in those days you know they liked to the more pomp and circumstance so it was not quite as dignified as they were used to doing and they finally get the picture up there and installed and uh very shortly, miracles begin to take place as people would, would gaze upon the the painting and um, ask Our Lady for intercession for things. Miracles will ha- would happen. And eventually, some painters wanted to retouch the painting just because it was in disrepair. Um, it had been sitting in an attic or something for a long, long time. Um and so they wanted to fix it up, make it look nicer, clean it, um, make it a little bit more presentable. And so they did. And it's there to this day. Pompeii. That's it. Pompeii. I knew it would come to me eventually. You know, my uh, my my index file doesn't always work when I want it to, but eventually it, it, it comes through for me. So I shared that story and I and I shared a few more things. Um, and what was supposed to be like a five-minute, uh, five to ten-minute um, lesson, catechetical lesson, turned into be more like twenty minutes. Um, that was the first inkling that I uh, I enjoy talking, I enjoy teaching, and I enjoy sharing my faith. <clears throat> now, if you ever attend any of my classes, any of my talks, I tend to go overtime. Um, I tend to really just lose myself in the subject matter and forget what time it is. Um, that you know, that's not cool. Not cool for the listeners. I like to honor people's time commitments, um, but you know, what am I going to do? So let's take a look at this book here. There's some other things that take place that I'll share with you in a minute on my journey here. Um, so the contents of this book, God Alone, Collected Writings, there's letters that he wrote. Um, he wrote a, a paper called The Love of Eternal Wisdom, Letter to the Friends of the Cross. Here's one, chapter four, The Secret of the Rosary. Um, number, chapter number five, Methods for Saying the Rosary. And he has five different methods there's the secret of Mary, true devotion to the Blessed Virgin, chapter 8, prayer for missionaries, um, chapter 9, rule of the missionary priests of the company of Mary, so a community began to form around him, right? Letter to the members of the company, chapter 11, the wisdom cross of Poitiers, 12, Original Rule of the Daughters of Wisdom. That's one of the congregations he started. Chapter 13, Maxims and Lessons of Divine Wisdom. 
Let's go God. Uh, chapter 16, the covenant with God. Uh, chapter 17 is his his will. It's interesting. Chapter 18 are morning and night prayers. Chapter 19, uh, hymns. Chapter 20, rules on voluntary poverty in the early church. And it says it's taken from St. Louis de Montfort's notebook. Their origin remains uncertain. Chapter 22 is sermons. Chapter 23, and I've read this whole thing, and but it was a long time ago because let's see, I entered the church in 2007, so it's been a minute. And I read this right at the beginning of my journey in the church. Chapter 23, Dispositions for a Happy Death. Um, so it's quite an interesting volume. It's long. You see, it's how many pages, Chris? It's got uh, 631 pages with all the notes. Yeah, 631 pages with all the notes, references. Um, yeah, it's pretty long. But it's only about... Mm, maybe half the size of the other volume, which I'll go get in a minute. Um, but before that, I want to talk about somebody else who played a major role in my life, um, in my formation, going through RCIA. And her name was Connie. Um, Connie was an interesting person. She shared with me a little bit of her story. Um, she was living in the Bay Area, and she uh, discerned that God's will for her was to um, change location to Sacramento. And she, her story is that she walked. Uh, she walked from San Francisco to Sacramento, and she went through Antioch and through the Delta to get to us. It took a few days. Um. That was her story. And then she ended up at the cathedral. And I remember at some point, and, I, and I, it's, I'm kind of foggy on, on this, um, as to when it was exactly. But it was during that first year of being a Catholic. Um, she invited me to be a part of something called the Sodality of the Virgin Mary, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I um, had to go online to look it up because that sodality does not exist any longer so but it was it's been it was around for a very very long time shortly after vatican ii it changed but let me just pull it up here so the sodality of the blessed virgin mary was founded in 1563 by a young belgian so it's been around for a very very long time and she, Connie, um, invited me to this group that met after um, the Mass. Let's see, which Mass did it meet after? It met after the 11 o'clock Mass. So this must have been... Okay, so I went to Mass, um, the 9 o'clock, until I went through, I finalized RCIA, then I started going to the 11 o'clock Mass. And so, um, I think that's how it went. I'm not sure exactly. I know this. This is what I know for sure. We would meet after Mass. 
And then after our meeting, we'd go to lunch. So it may be that it was after the 9 a.m. mass that we met. And then we went out to like a breakfast, lunch kind of a thing. Um, and so she she invites me to join, or at least to, to check it out, right? And there's uh, probably three, maybe four other women from various parishes. And then there was a guy from another different parish that were meeting together. And they were using... Um, not even photocopied, but mimeographed booklets with various prayers and um, responses uh, for them to conduct their meeting. And, um, you know, I had fostered a devotion to the Blessed Mother, and I really enjoyed it a lot. And um, so after attending a few meetings, she asked me if I wanted to be consecrated. And so I said, okay, sounds good to me. And um, so we set a date, and I remember Father Nicholas Ho was the priest that presided over the ceremony. I got a, a candle, and I got a, a medal of the uh, miraculous, a miraculous medal which I still have, it. Uh, I no longer wear it because um, I would wear it touching my skin under my clothes, right? Um, but I guess the acids from my skin did a number on the back of the metal, so I, I don't wear it anymore. But I, I have it, um, and it's hanging on a picture that I have of the Blessed Mother holding her son, Jesus. Anyway, I... Um, and then my name was entered into a book because apparently the sodality had been at the cathedral for decades, um, probably back all the way to its founding. The sodality was very active um, for many, many, like in, for centuries, right? Started in the 1500s. The cathedral was built in the um, 1700s, 1800s, somewhere in there. Gold Rush era. Yeah, Gold Rush, so 1800s probably. Um, so there are a lot of names in the book and mine was the very last one. Um, we continued meeting and then, uh, Connie was an interesting person. She had been living in the, uh, YWCA. There's a little building downtown. They've got a bunch of rooms that they, uh, would rent to women, uh, subsidized, um, and, uh, she lived there and, um, I remember, um, she started, her behavior changed a lot. Um, and then she wasn't taking care of her personal hygiene. Um, and then she started living on the street. Um, and then she just dropped off the radar. No one seems to know what happened to her. Um, and so she was no longer there to run the sodality. She had said to me um, before, she said, you know, things are going to happen. I'm going to be gone. And I would really like you to take it over and make sure this continues. Um, which 
I was the new kid on the block. That was a, that was a burden to lay on me. And um, after she uh, left the scene, it, I just let it go. I didn't try to maintain it at all. I didn't really feel competent. Maybe worthy is the right word to actually lead a group like that. People who had been in it for a very long time, um, I felt was probably better off doing that sort of thing. So it fell by the wayside. Um, yeah. One of the things that I learned was that prior to Vatican II, the devotion to the Virgin Mary sort of became, the only way I can think of it is to say it was unbalanced. Um, The Mass was in Latin, and many times people were praying rosaries. Um, They couldn't sometimes hear the priest. Um, They weren't really participating directly in the Mass, and so they would pray these devotions to Mary during the Mass um, the rosary and, and what have you. That's what I'd heard. That's what I've come to understand. That may not always be the case, but um, for whatever reason, the Vatican Fathers decided to um, revisit the Blessed Virgin Mary, and, and there was some talk about creating a document just on her, but they decided that they would add it as a chapter on their document on the church. So, let me uh, let me get that real quick here. Let me see. I'm going to pause this real quick. Uh, where's the pause button? I don't know where the pause button is. We'll just pause it. Okay, I'm back. So, the document on the church, Vatican II. Um, uh, Vatican documents always begin with the first couple of words of the document. It's in Latin, right? Um, So in English, it's Christ is the light of the nations. So the Latin name of the document is Lumen Gentium, right? The dogmatic constitution on the church. And uh, chapter 8 is entitled Our Lady. And I thought I'd I'd read a little bit um, of this because it, it it's really I mean their whole goal was to was to um, put Mary in the context of the church. Um, there's a great visual in the Bible in the Book of Revelations, Re- Revelations chapter twelve, and you know it starts off that he beholds this woman right in heaven, the sun and moon and the stars and all this stuff right, but if you Look at the end of chapter 11. He says he beheld in heaven the ark. And then chapter 12 begins with a vision of this woman. And, you know, when these letters were written, they didn't have chapters. There was no such things as chapters. So, uh, it's just, you know, it's very, very interesting. Um, no such thing as chapters. So that was an arbitrary division that somebody made between chapter 11 and chapter 12. 
it should really go together. And so there's this picture of, of the ark in heaven and that it's Our Lady. And then if you read on through chapter 12, that Our Lady, is it's the church. And um, there was this teaching in, of, the, of the early church fathers that, the, that Mary was a type of the church, that you could see the life of the church in the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so the Vatican fathers added her into this dogmatic constitution of the church on Our Lady. Um, so what does it say here? Some things I have outlined from a long time ago, it looks like. They say some cool stuff here. Devoutly meditating on her and contemplating her in the light of the word made man, the church reverently penetrates more deeply into the great mystery of the incarnation and becomes more and more like its spouse. And one of the things that the documents of the church almost always refer back to is that Mary was Jesus' first disciple. She's the only one that knew him his entire life. Right? The disciples met him when he was 30. She's known him since birth. Uh, she's known him intimately and followed him his entire life. She was his first disciple. Um, she was present at the crucifixion. She was present at Pentecost. Um, although she doesn't say much, um, she's she's right there. Um, and there's a scene uh, where Jesus looks down to his disciple John from the cross. John is with a few of the women that have gathered at the foot of the cross, his mother being one of them. And he looks at Mary, his mother, and he says, Woman, behold your son. And he looks at John and says, Behold your mother. And he, he just basically says, Take my mother into your house. Take care of her. And so church tradition is that um, the Apostle John and the Blessed Virgin Mary um, lived together. He took care of her in her old age. Uh, they lived together in a house, and I believe that that house was in Ephesus. And that's part of, of, of church tradition. So she's very much a part of the history of, uh, of the church, of the people of God. Um, and that she is seen as, what does it say? Um, seeking after the glory of Christ, the church becomes more like its lofty exemplar, that would be Mary, and continually progresses in faith, hope, and charity, seeking and doing the will of God in all things. What else have I got here? It says, um, the Sacred Synod expressly teaches this Catholic doctrine and at the same time encourages all the sons and daughters of the Church to foster generously the cult, especially the liturgical cult of the Blessed Virgin, and to hold in high regard the practices and exercises of devotion towards her recommended 
by the teaching authority of the Church in the course of centuries, and religiously to observe those decrees laid down in the past regarding the cult of images of Christ, the Blessed Virgin, and the saints. So, when I saw that, there's a couple of other things. Um, But before we go too much further, I want to look at the word cult, because cult has a bad connotation these days. Whoopsie. I hit my microphone boom arm. The word cult. What is that? What does the word cult mean? All right, let's look it up. And that's what we've got my handy-dandy iPad here for. Cult, cult, cult. C-U-L-T, cult. There we go. Cult. Ah, cult. Here we go. A relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Well, that's not the cult we're looking for. Um, here's the... Okay, that's not a main definition. <laughs> so, main definition... A system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. That's what it is. Okay. That's the main definition. That's from, what's that from? Um, I don't know. I don't know where they got that. I don't know. Its origin is from the Latin which means inhabited, cultivated, worshipped. Um, then, So it's uh, cult, goes to cultus, which means to worship, and then you get cult in the early 17th century. So that's cool. Anyway, so it's a group of people, uh, a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object, and in this case it's directed to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hmm? So, uh, yeah, so before I go um, much further, I'm looking at the time here. It's been about an hour, um, which is which is good for me. As I said, I often don't check time, and I could, actually, I've got a lot more to say about the Virgin Mary and my relationship with her and where I'm at now. Um, so I'm going to save that uh, for uh, episode three, which will, will be part two on the Blessed Virgin Mary. So uh, I'll call that a, an end for, for today. And um, I should be able to put episode three together pretty quickly um, so you don't have to wait so long. Okay? So um, I'll see you next time. This podcast is being hosted by Anchor.fm and can be found on your favorite source for podcasts. The artwork for My Life and Welcome to It is by Dave Edwards. Season 3's theme music is After All Has Changed by Humans Win, formerly Lance Conrad. If you are enjoying my adventure, you can support me by going to buymeacoffee.com slash M-L-A-W-T-I. 1% of all donations goes to Stripe Climate to combat climate change. You can find a list of their projects at stripe.com. Each episode of Season 3, Seeking God's Face, will appear on a random schedule. 
I really enjoy bringing you along on this journey called life. You can always email me at mlawti101 at gmail.com or you can leave me a voice message at anchor.fm. So until we meet again, be safe, be well, be happy, and God bless.